August is officially here. Training camps are in full swing. Football is back. And today we dive into whether Julio Jones is the missing piece for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or not. And also two big time extensions for two big time wide receivers from that 2019 draft class. All that and more on today's episode of Locked on NFL. You are locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast. We're here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And it's Monday, so I am back. Kevin Ostreicher, the host of Locked On Ravens. And thank you so much for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day here. I greatly appreciate it. We're, of course, free and available on all podcasting platforms, including on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has recovered this season with more props, odds, and lies than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And yeah, here today, August 1st, it's exciting. We have preseason football coming up really, really quickly. Training camps again in full swing. Stadiums packed with fans watching stadium practices. And obviously, there's just so much going on right now. We have a ton to talk about here today. Very wide receiver centric is here in the second segment. We're going to be diving into Julio Jones talk with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks and diving into whether he could be the missing piece for this Tampa Bay team. And also talking a bit about Ryan Jensen's injury. But in the first and third segment, we're going to have a bit of a wide receiver sandwich, an extension sandwich, because two big-time wide receivers from that 2019 draft class signed extensions over this past week with DK Metcalf coming in, and also Debo Samuel coming in really late last night, actually. So in the first segment, we'll talk with Corbin Smith of Locked on Seahawks about DK Metcalf. Then in the final segment, I'll take you through the Debo Samuel extension, talk a bit about what it means for the other wide receivers from that class who are looking at big-time extensions, such as Deontay Johnson, you have Marquise Brown there as well. So a ton to talk about in that regard. But now let's dive into our conversation about DK Metcalf and the retirement of Chris Carson with Corbin Smith of Locked on Seahawks. All right, diving into some DK Metcalf and Chris Carson talk with us now is the host of Locked on Seahawks and Corbin Smith. And Corbin, it's been a pretty crazy couple of days for Seattle here and obviously training camp back on the horizon and in full swing. How you doing? I'm great. It's been a very busy week, but glad to have football back. That's a void that's missing for a few months. It's really nice to have it back and getting ready for a new season. Yeah, and someone who's back in Seattle and will be there seemingly for a pretty long time now is receiver DK Metcalf. And we've seen Corbin this offseason of just receiver contract after receiver contract and DK Metcalf getting that three-year, $72 million deal from Seattle. Was this in line with what you were thinking DK Metcalf was going to get here? Was it a little more, maybe a little less? What were your thoughts on that? I actually think Seattle got him at a little better price than I was anticipating. I thought for sure he was going to want to one up his former teammate, AJ Brown, who's going to be making 25 million per year, a little over 24 million per year on Metcalf's contract. So he comes in just behind Brown as the sixth highest paid receiver in the NFL, still great money. One of the highest paid players at the position. And he did get a record $30 million signing bonus. So they found ways to sweeten the pot without giving him top five receiver money. That kind of surprised me. I thought he would be pushing for at least 25 and a half, 26 million. The Seahawks were able to get this done though. And that sweet spot a little bit over 24 million per year while giving out that big signing bonus and still being able to work the contract out the way they want. So really this is a win-win for both sides. The Seahawks get him through 2025. DK Metcalf's only gonna be 28 years old when he has a chance to hit the market. 
or get a new deal. A lot of receivers don't get their first contract till they're 26, 27 years old. He gets it at 24. So really both sides made out quite well in this. And, and honestly, uh, it happened exactly how I anticipated. First couple of days of training camp, that is always the sweet spot for John Schneider. He signed so many, so many stars over the last decade in that window right before camp or the first couple of days of training camp. And he continues that trend going by getting this deal done, making sure Metcalf's back practicing after only holding in for a couple of days. Yeah, and you set me up perfectly, Corbin, for the next question I was going to ask you, which was about the timing of the deal. And I know that there was a little brief hold-in situation where Metcalf does report, but did you did that worry you at all? Was there any doubt in your mind that a deal would have gotten done over these first couple of days with the track record of Seattle with those contracts? No, I thought all along that this was probably the ideal situation for the Seahawks, either right before they open camp or those first couple of days. They've done it with players like Dwayne Brown in the past, Bobby Wagner, both of his big extensions were signed early in training camp. They did it with KJ Wright at one point. There's a really long track record. And John Schneider and their cap expert, Matt Thomas, they know how to get the job done this time of year. They know how to hammer out these contracts. And so I wasn't surprised at all. And fans, you know, there were some fans that were a little bit pessimistic going into this because DK didn't show up for mandatory minicamp, but that's not a big deal in the scheme of things. This is where he wanted to be. He made that clear with his actions and the things he said during the offseason that this is where he wanted to be. He wanted to step into a greater leadership role. So while trade rumors continued out there, this did not seem like a situation where he was going to be going anywhere but Seattle. He made that clear in his press conference on Friday. This is always where he wanted to be. So I anticipate they were going to get this knocked out, and it fell just about the exact time I was anticipating a couple of days into training camp. Yeah, and now there were a lot of those trade rumors of could DK Metcalf possibly be on the move? Obviously, that not being the case anymore, Corbin, and him being back in Seattle. What's the outlook for this passing offense hanging in 2022? Obviously, the trade of Russell Wilson, a pretty big one. All things considered, you got Geno Smith there. You got Drew Locke. What's the outlook of the passing offense with Metcalf and obviously Tyler Lockett on the opposite side? Well, if there's a way to make things work with Geno Smith or Drew Locke, it's putting elite talent around him, and the Seahawks definitely have that. I think from a long-term perspective, you know, we've obviously got this 2023 draft class coming up that's supposed to be pretty darn good at the quarterback position. Seattle's got four picks in the first two rounds. They have most of their key players on offense away from quarterback under contract for at least two more years. They've got both Metcalf and Lockett signed through 2025. Noah Fant through 2024, one of the key pieces they got back in that trade with Russell Wilson. They've got two rookie tackles they're really high on that could be starters as rookies. And obviously they're going to be on the rookie deal for the next four years. D. Eskridge, they still believe, is going to end up being a solid receiver on the outside. He's only in year two. So, I mean, they have most of their core in place. They just have to get the quarterback. Now, maybe that ends up being Drew Locke, or maybe it ends up being Geno Smith, but you would think long-term they're going to be drafting a quarterback or maybe bringing in another big name next offseason, but they have put a core together that should be intriguing to really build everything back up. They put this foundation around whoever that quarterback's going to be for them to be successful in 2023, and they may even be able to win some games this year depending on how the rest of the roster boils down with that quarterback position. If the defense is good. They can run the ball with the skill players they got on the outside. Then this could be a team that is better on offense than people anticipate. But I think at minimum, the future is bright with the core that they have assembled and they have under contract for several years. 
Yeah, they have a lot a lot of great receiving talent on that team. That again, you mentioned the young aspect of that is gonna be huge for them. But Corbin, outside of the DK Metcalf extension, you did have also the retirement of running back Chris Carson. Carson dealt with injuries over a lot of the course of his career. Obviously, the neck injury, he just felt like it was time to to step away from the game. But what are you gonna remember about Carson's tenure both on and off the field for Seattle? Well, I'm always going to remember him as one of the best late round picks in Seahawks franchise history, not just under John Schneider and Pete Carroll, a seventh round pick, 249th overall, never had more than 650 rushing yards in a college season, but he just had that physical bruising style that Pete Carroll loves between the tackles, the mentality, the work ethic, great teammate on top of that. I'm just going to remember some of the highlight reel runs this guy had perennial all-pro talent if you go back and you watch the couple thousand yard seasons that he had he just couldn't stay on the field but opponents feared this guy when he came running through a crease full steam ahead like a freight train with dynamite strapped to him this is not a guy that you wanted to tackle and, and Seahawks defenders talked about that KJ right back in the day how, how happy he was that Chris Carson was on his team I'm not playing for somebody else that he had to worry about tackling, but he, he was a force of nature in terms of running downhill. And he had surprising athleticism, not a guy that was going to hit a lot of home runs, but he had good quickness, the ability to make defenders miss in space, underrated receiver out of the backfield. So he could do a lot of different things on the field for the Seahawks. And it's unfortunate his career ended this early and that several of his seasons were cut short because of the injury issues that, really derailed him for most of his time in Seattle. But when he was healthy, he was a borderline top five running back and just perfectly fit this offense. They needed an identity after Marshawn Lynch left, and they struggled for a couple of years to find that. Chris Carson gave them back that physical, annihilating mentality out of the backfield that they had been missing for a couple of years. And so certainly he's going to be missed. The Seahawks have done a lot to bolster their backfield, drafted Ken Walker the third. They've got Rashad Penny coming back from a strong finish last year, but not just the way they played the game, but his quiet leadership in the locker room, leading by example. Those are going to be things the Seahawks are sorely going to miss with him no longer being on the roster. Yeah, and so so what's your outlook on this running game? And I, I asked you about the passing game with Metcalf. You mentioned some of the guys they added and Rashad Penny still there. What is this running game looking like heading into 2022? The biggest question mark is going to be, can the offensive line open up holes for the running back? Because Rashad Penny led the NFL in rushing yards the last six games last year. Finally got healthy and showed what he can do. He is an elite talent. If he can stay healthy for an entire season, he can be a contender for a rushing title. He's got that kind of ability. And Ken Walker the third Doak Walker Award winner at Michigan State last year, he's been making some nice catches out of the backfield in training camp so far as well. So he's off to a fast start. And DJ Dallas and Travis Homer are good three and fourth running backs, guys that can be spot starters in the league, and they're good third down running backs. So they have a ton of talent back there. The question is going to be, especially if they play two rookie tackles in Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, are they going to be able to come from air raid and run and shoot offenses, put their hand in the dirt, and fire out and block people in the run game? How long is that adjustment going to take for them? They've got a new center in Austin Blythe who's played a lot of games, but he's new to their system, new to the team. So there are question marks about that offensive line up front. But if those guys can get the job done with the talent they have in the backfield and they can keep their backfield healthy, then that is what is going to anchor this offense. And that's how Pete Carroll wants it. He wants a strong running game, and that's going to take pressure off whoever the starting quarterback ends up being this season.
Right, and I, I know the quarterback situation has kind of taken the reins for headlines in Seattle this offseason, but they have talent on the offensive side of the ball, and I agree, Corbin, it all starts up front for an offense on that offensive line. So hopefully the offensive line can block for these running backs, and the receiving game can also thrive off of that because the run game feeds off of the pass game, the pass game feeds off of the run game. And I appreciate you having on here, Corbin. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Kevin. appreciate it. Seattle does have a lot of talent on offense. This is a team that obviously did trade away their franchise player in Russell Wilson, and they replaced Russell Wilson with a combination of Geno Smith and Drew Locke. So, you know, the quarterback situation is definitely a fuzzy one in terms of talent, but you have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Rashad Penny, and a bunch of guys, Noah Fant too, that I think can make an impact. Now, the team record might not be amazing, but if they can get a quarterback, I think that team will have maybe a quicker turnaround than some people do imagine it having. But we'll head into our first break here on Locked On NFL. We still have a ton to talk about here. We'll dive into Julio Jones talk, talking about whether if he's the missing piece for Tampa with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks coming up here on Locked On NFL. So be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Dave. And sometimes looking back on things, hindsight can be pretty 2020 overall, and you can't change the past, of course. But what if you could get a little help from your future self? Maybe you'd ask to borrow a little cash, but now you actually can do that with Dave. And Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or even catch up on some bills you have. And you can finally tackle those expensive. They've been stressing you out and you can do it without any hangups as well. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download the Dave app and think of it as a helping hand from future you. Download the Dave app from the app store right now, and that's D-A-V-E. So not for an extra cash account, to get up to $500 instantly. Returns and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Interesting supply, banking provided by Evolve member FDIC. The future you will thank you. We're back. Our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you so much for making Locked On NFL your first listener of the day here. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us in audio form. It all greatly helps out a ton, and I appreciate all the support here. But now we're going to be diving into some Julio Jones and Ryan Jensen talk with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks, talking about those two players and how important they are to Tampa Bay now for different reasons. So let's talk about that now. All right, joining the show now to talk about some Julio Jones and Ryan Jensen is David Harrison, one of the hosts of Locked On Bucks. And David, I know it's been a very busy week for, for the Buccaneers with, with Julio yep. Jones and obviously the unfortunate injury to Ryan Jensen. But training camp is back and football's back in the air. How you doing? I'm doing great, Kevin. Appreciate it. And yeah, I'm I'm back to covering two teams that are fully, fully in in being spun up and in action. And it's uh, I, I've almost I've actually allowed myself to forget a little bit over the offseason just how busy it is covering two teams at once. But it's it's a lot of fun. You know what I mean? And there's a lot to track, but it, uh, it keeps keeps me on my toes. Yeah, I can only imagine. And the week that Tampa had, I'm sure, just added to the to the hecticness of everything. And Julio Jones uh, signing that, again, he was one of the best free agents left on the market, a wide receiver coming into when everybody's healthy in Tampa now, David, a very talented wide receiver group overall. Was this a possibility for you? Did you think that Julio Jones was an option for Tampa Bay before they actually signed him here? Yeah, I mean, it's something we had talked about and something that obviously, you know, other people had talked about and we had heard that was a, that was a rumor or a possibility. I think both James and I kind of went the Matt Ryan Indianapolis Colts route. You know, they could obviously, you know, benefit from a veteran receiver in their group as well. So we kind of thought that might be uh, what really kind of led to things. Uh, we didn't I don't know how how much of a feel I'd say I probably would give it about a 60, 40 chance of of actually developing before training camp. But then, you know, like I said, the news comes out uh, and he's coming to camp and he's coming to camp ready to compete. And you know, so far, I mean, he, he's done pretty well and held his own. And I mean, I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say that the old Julio will be back in 2022. But 
certainly maybe an extension of uh you know a little bit of reverting back to uh his his previous his previous form before even more injuries kind of uh collided with his career path but you know he says he feels good he says he's 100 medically there's no lingering issues and those are always kind of the biggest things and uh you know if, if tom brady can can play till he's 50 almost then you know who says julio can't do this yeah exactly and the deal one year six billion dollars so not a massive investment still an investment for sure but, but how yeah. are you feeling about the money um i like it because i mean it still gives the buccaneers a good amount of flexibility cap wise this year it's it's a little over two million because of the ever popular void years that you know suddenly we're all becoming experts about that have been around the nfl for a long time but you know there's some, some void years in his contract so uh, if they need to spread that out, they can spread that out. But yeah, I mean, it, it gives them enough money to to potentially bring in another veteran somewhere if they really need to. Uh, there are some questions along uh, the roster. Obviously, we have the the injury to Ryan Jensen. We'll talk about, but you also look at the linebacker position. Very young in their depth. You, you know, Levante, Dave, and Devin White are your steady veterans, and uh, Devin White is. I think Devin White we can call him a veteran now, right? Three years uh, in the league. KJ Britt, Grant Stewart. They're both young guys mainly special teams contributors last year grant stewart essentially only a special teams contributor uh kj Britt's being expected to step into that kevin minter role kevin minter by the way meanwhile doesn't have a team so if they get into this thing and they kind of realize well maybe it was a little too soon for kj to take over that role fully they still have the money to go bring in a guy like kevin minter uh, if they really need to and he's still available uh and then of course you know rob gronkowski around christmas time maybe maybe they work something out to bring him back as well yeah, what a storyline that would be. And it's, it's always yeah. good to have that flexibility. And I know, David, in that wide receiver room now, there is plenty of flexibility in terms of what Tampa can do on the field. I mean, they're top four guys and everybody's healthy. You have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you brought in Russell Gage, and also now Julio Jones there. But yeah. you can't forget about guys like Tyler Johnson and, and right. Scotty Miller. The depth, there is so much depth in that room. Does this move maybe pave the way for a potential trade for one of the guys further down on the depth chart now, maybe a Scotty Miller or a Tyler Johnson? I think it does. You know what I mean? Um, because there's there's too much talent in this wide receiver room, you know, and, and the question now is, do the Buccaneers take seven receivers into the regular season? Do they take eight? I think we, I think everybody expects them to take at least seven. Well, if you look at those top four, like you said, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio uh, and, and then uh, Russell Gage, the former Falcon, those four spots are already taken up. Well, you have a lot of talent competing for that final spot. You've got Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, Jalen Darden, who's also expected to compete for a return. Uh, abilities and everything is is coming up that it, he's he's having a really good camp so far as well. Uh, the veteran Brashad Perryman, who I know did not do very well in Baltimore, didn't do very well in Detroit, but you know what? He does very well in Tampa. I don't know. Maybe it's the heat. Maybe he just needs that humidity. But whatever it is, uh, he does really well in Tampa. He's having a good camp so far as well. And then Cyril Grayson Jr. is a guy who did really well with limited opportunities last year. Um, but you know he's he's a competitor uh, as well. And then Devin Tompkins, an undrafted. Uh, rookie free agent out of Utah State. Todd Bowles was really excited to see him in camp. He's a, he's a very shorter. He's a five eight guy if, if I remember correctly, but he's got some uh, some juice to him, some wiggle and stuff like that. So I mean, you've got like four guys, five guys maybe competing for the last two or three spots on this roster in the wide receiver room. Um, and the Buccaneers could just cut him and 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 tell him good luck and and go on. I don't think you're going to stash any of these guys on on the on the practice squad, not with how much of a uh, of prevalence the passing game has the NFL. So if you try to put any of these guys on the practice squad, if they even have eligibility at this point, I think you're going to have a very hard time keeping them there. Somebody's going to want them on their active roster. So I think, yeah, you're, you're definitely opening the door for a seventh or a sixth round swap for a player that you're not really going to use anyway towards the end of the preseason. But I think the good news is the Buccaneers have some weeks uh, because, again, injuries can always creep up. And, and so it's good that they have that depth right now so they can pull from it if they need to due to uh, unfortunate injuries.
Yeah, and David, obviously Tampa felt like Julio Jones was a worthwhile addition despite all of yeah. the talented wide receivers they have in their room. I mean, is is it fair enough to say maybe Tampa views him as one of these missing pieces that they need? And I mean, what does he bring to this offense in terms of what he's going to be able to do for Tampa and Tom Brady? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a piece of the puzzle, and the puzzle is going to be different for every circumstance and situation, you know. And, and I think that's really what they, they've always they've always had a heightened view of versatility, right? Bruce Arians going back to his days with uh, the Indianapolis Colts when he got his first opportunity to really be a head coach. Um, you know, versatility is something that he really looked for in guys, and that's bled into Byron Leftwich. Todd Bowles has always wanted a versatile defense. You know, every defense coordinator wants to be able to have motion, don't have to move your guys if you don't want to, and the offense still doesn't know what you're doing on the defensive side of the ball. That's really the greatest place you can create an advantage. So I think when you look at Julio, uh, so it's kind of like the question is who's wide receiver three, right? And the way that I've put it is Russell Gage and Julio are wide receiver three, and it's really going to depend on the situation. I mean, if you're inside the five-yard line or the 10-yard line and you've got Julio out there with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Cam Brate, I mean, who do you – who do you? That's, that, you just have a whole lot of trees out there, and good luck to any defense in the National Football League. Uh, trying to stop that. But if you're on your own 40 and it's third and eight, you have Russell Gage that you can trot out there uh, who can get, who can cover a lot of ground very, very quickly and make some guys miss in the open field. So, I mean, you really have just kind of this Swiss army knife type of offense. And really the key is just where is each guy's strength the best? Where do they play off of another guy? The best, you know, route combinations, all these other things. And who, who can we put on the field at these, these key moments and intersections of a game to really give us the best advantage uh, I think really the challenge for Byron and for Tom as, as they work together, putting this offense together is not overthinking it and getting almost too niche and, and too specific and, and too customized to, well, you know, third and if it's third and four and short, no matter what, it's always Julio. And then, you know, and you end up missing opportunities to do other things against the defense. But um, I think really it's just kind of a, it's going to be a piecemeal uh, situation that they have the the weapons to put out there when they need them as they need them. Yeah, and so Tampa adds a wide receiver but loses a center in Ryan Jensen. Yeah. And obviously a very important part of that Buccaneers offensive line re-signed during the offseason and has turned to one of the best centers in the league here, David. And I have a two-parter for you here. One, what is the loss of Ryan Jensen? It feels like this, again, is going to be a multi-month absence for him. So what yeah. does that loss mean? And then how does Tampa go about replacing him for as long as he's out? Yeah, I mean, like you said, one of the best centers, if not the best center in the game right now, and, and not just for his ability as a player, but also for the emotion that he brings to the team and the leadership he provides on the offensive line. You know, and, and this team, it's just it's just exacerbated because this team is losing an all-pro caliber, Pro Bowl caliber minimum uh, left guard in, in Ali Marpet, who retired during the offseason, and then their right guard, who's been very steady, very strong for them, Alex Kappa, who signed with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, during the offseason. So you're already replacing two of your three interior offensive linemen uh, with a quarterback that everybody knows the best way to disrupt him is rushing him up the middle. And now you're losing your center. So the, the answer right now looks like Robert Hainsey. Um, and Robert Hainsey is a guy who's a tackle at Notre Dame. They drafted him, basically brought him in to train him to be uh, the backup center, interior offensive lineman. There was talks that he was going to compete for guard. I can tell you that he was training this offseason, intending to compete for one of those starting guard positions. Like that was his intention uh, coming into this offseason. Uh, but obviously now, you know, I think the attention is moving him back to center. Uh, so you have those other interior offensive linemen. Nick Leverett is a guy who's been around for a couple of years now with Tampa. Uh, and he's talked about that he's trying to get in the mix for that center job as well. So you certainly have a motivated crew, uh, but also reverence for for Ryan. You know, when, when Robert Hainsey came to the podium uh, and was asked about his opportunity, Nick Leverett was asked about the opportunity. They both first wanted to talk about how important Ryan Jensen is to them, the team, um, as a mentor. You know, there, there was a, there was a symposium held 
during the offseason not that long ago in, in Frisco at the Dallas Cowboys facility. And Ryan Jensen was kind of one of the main personalities there. And, and uh, Carmen Vitale of the Draft Network, we had her on the show, and she told us about how there were Hall of Fame linemen there who were just kind of listening to Ryan. Everybody wanted to hear what Ryan Jensen had to say as far as technique, how you play the game, how you lead. All these things. So it's not just a Buccaneers thing. I know you're familiar, obviously, with him for Baltimore. Like anybody who's been around Ryan Jensen understands the impact he makes outside of the X's and O's, uh, but into the emotional part of this game. So a huge loss. You know, nobody's going to replace Big Red, but you know they're they're hoping that they can keep Tom Brady upright. That's really that's really what you're looking for at this at this point. Right, and it all does start up front. And I know, David, and I'm, I'm going to ask you the J.C. Treader question now because Treader, yeah. one of the best centers in the league, and I'm sure it's maybe been discussed about whether he could be an option at least for the first couple months of the year while Jensen recovers. Do you feel like that is a viable option, or would you rather just roll with Ainsley through Tampa Bay? You know, I think it's it's certainly a possibility, and I think it's something the coaching staff and Jason Light has talked about. Um, it looks to us right now that they want to see what Robert and Nick, uh, Robert Hainsey and Nick Lever can possibly do before they go that route. Um, you saw the very the next day, the day after Ryan Jensen got injured, Tom Brady was given a veteran rest day. That wasn't by accident. You know what I mean? You don't want to put your starting Hall of Fame quarterback back there uh, with with a new offensive line getting used to each other and accidents can happen. Somebody rolls in to the legend, you know, God help you if you do. Um, but once the pads come on, you know, that's obviously where where the where the rubber really meets the road. And that's where we're going to find out how much of this technique, and I promise you, uh, Todd Bowles, the defensive coaches, and the, and the offensive line is going to be prepared. They're going to bring it to them. They're going to, they got, you got to test them. You got to find out what Robert Hainsey and Nick Lever have. I know you usually don't go 100% against teammates, but I think in this situation, you got to tell these guys this isn't normal training camp practice. We need to know if we have a problem here. As long as Robert Hainsey and Nick Lever give the Buccaneers a warm and fuzzy that they are up to the task, I don't think you'll see a veteran coming. I think they want to go with the, with the internal promotion first. If they do, it just shows you that basically Robert Hainsey and Nick Leverett showed showed them that even if they end up winning the job, they wanted to make sure there was some pressure behind them in a veteran presence to 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 make them elevate their game a little bit. Right, and and you might just have the best option on the roster if you're Tampa Bay here. I mean, sometimes going out there and signing a guy, it, it can feel like the right move at the time, but I think it's mm -hmm. important to just see what you have first, and then maybe if it if you're a month in, you think it's not the right decision, then you can bring somebody in, and hopefully Jensen obviously has a speed to recovery and yeah. is able to return, especially with Tampa Bay competing for, again, one of those top spots in the NFC and hopefully another Super Bowl appearance for them for Tampa Bay's sake. David, I appreciate you hopping on here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, obviously the Jones edition, super big for Tampa Bay. I mean, it gives them one of the best big four wide receiver groups in the league and not even mentioning Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller, but the injury to Ryan Jensen. Definitely a blow to that Tampa offensive line, depending on how long he is out for. But we still have a lot to talk about. We're going to dive into the back half of our wide receiver talk, talking about Debo Samuel and those wide receiver extensions coming up next here on Locked on NFL. So be sure to stay tuned for all of that. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Bet Online. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. And that means you can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, even combat sports, esports, and golf. And BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for other sports wagering information from live in-game betting. You have scores, podcasts, they have you covered everywhere. So head over to the BetOnline website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. We return here, our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still talking with you here. And I'm going to be taking you through the Debo Samuel news. And this was late breaking, like 8 p.m. something Eastern time on Sunday night. 
Debo Samuel signing an extension with the San Francisco 49ers. You have a pretty sizable deal here too. You have three years, $71.5 million in that range and go up a couple million dollars more than that. And we've really seen this wide receiver market absolutely boom this offseason. And even going back a couple of years where we saw a lot of wide receiver ones traded, you know, you can talk about Stephon Diggs and you talk about DeAndre Hopkins, et cetera. Obviously, we saw Devontae Adams traded this offseason, a couple other guys moving teams, obviously. But these, 29, these 2019 wide receivers are just unbelievable. You, you have players. There are so many good ones from that class. And obviously, they weren't all hits. Obviously, we've talked about Nikhil Harry before. He was traded from New England to Chicago. But Debo Samuel, him first, means so much to the San Francisco offense. I mean, from a pure stats perspective, you're looking at what he's been able to do for them as both a pass catcher and as a runner. He is a dual threat player through and through. I mean, he averaged 18.2 yards per reception last year at 77 receptions for 1,405 yards. That is incredible. Six touchdowns to go along with that. But it wasn't just that. I mean, he averaged 6.2 yards per carry. He had 59 carries with 365 yards. It wasn't just like he had 10 carries and averaged 6.2. He had 365 yards on those 59 carries, eight touchdowns, so 14 total touchdowns. And I'll tell you, Debo Samuel won me a, a bunch of fantasy leagues last year. I, I had kind of – this was before Debo Samuel was Debo Samuel. This 2021 was his breakout year. San Francisco obviously re rewarding him as such which I think was the right decision. There have been a bunch of rumors surrounding these wide receivers too. Obviously, another big wide receiver traded during this offseason was A.J. Brown, another member of that 2019 draft class. And all of those receivers so far that we're talking about, like A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, they've all gotten similar, I'd say, deals. Even Terry McLaurin, who obviously was a part of that class too. A.J. Brown gets four for 100. Debo Samuel, three for 71. Terry McLaurin, three for 71. D.K. Metcalf, three for 72. And then Hunter Renfro, two for 32. He's another guy, and his is obviously on, on the lower end there. But, I mean, it goes to show how talented that wide receiver group is. Debo Samuel returning to San Francisco gives that offense so many options, obviously transitioning over to Trey Lance at quarterback. I mean, he, the, when you have Debo Samuel to kind of work with and can alleviate some of the pressure off you, if you Trey Lance, I'm like, there's a lot of pressure on Trey Lance to perform, you know, moving away from Jimmy Garoppolo. It's a move they made. It's a move that they trust their young signal caller with. Having Debo Samuel on that offense, Brandon Ayuk, and, and a bunch, obviously George Kittle, one of the big options in that offense you can look for. And obviously the run game they have there with a good offensive line, Trent Williams leading the pack there. They have talent on that side of the ball, but Debo Samuel just, it, he adds so many dynamic elements to that offense that it just made so much sense for them to bring him back. He obviously seemingly wanted to be there in San Francisco, but he wanted to be there on the right deal. And so he kind of gets into that DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin range. In terms of average annual value, I mean, these guys are all making right around $25 million, a little less. Obviously, A.J. Brown has the, you know, pure $25 million per season. But Debo and Terry McLaurin and, and Metcalf, all those guys come in right under that number. And then Hunter Renfro more in the, like, $16 million range. So, again, wide receivers in that class – are getting paid. They deserve to get paid and with the salary cap continuing to increase. We're going to continue to see that. And it kind of begs the question now of what happens with Deontay Johnson, what happens with Marquise Brown. And so Johnson, I feel like the Johnson deal will probably come before the season starts. Like obviously I there's no inside information here. I just, it feels that way. There's currently a hold in situation with him happening right now. So he did report to training camp, but he is not practicing. So 
I feel like the Steelers and Johnson want to get that situation resolved. And I mean, yeah, they definitely do. It's not a situation anybody wants to be in. I'm sure that, you know, Johnson wants his money. The Steelers want to pay him, but it's just getting the numbers right. And these, these benchmarks, these wide receiver contracts, if the Steelers, let's say the Steelers wait a year to bring on an extension for Deontay Johnson, it's going to cost them more money. I mean, we're seeing it almost with the quarterback market and the conversations surrounding Lamar Jackson and surrounding Joe Burrow. And, and even what we were talking about with Kyler Murray, which is every, every quarterback extension that signed, the price goes up. And now obviously the quarterback situation, the, the contract situations there are different than what we're talking about with wide receivers, but it's still, there is a point where if we're talking about Marquise Brown, where it feels like that extension could happen, maybe next off season, that price will be, probably more than what maybe AJ Brown even got. And there's obviously the debate of which wide receivers from that class are the best. Marquise Brown was the first wide receiver taken in that class, but you know, AJ Brown is a phenomenal wide receiver one DK Metcalf wide receiver one McLaurin Samuel, you know, I think that even with Marquise Brown, he's a player that was a wide receiver one in Baltimore and now goes over to Arizona. When everybody's healthy, he's the two, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is the one and obviously Hopkins suspended for the first six games of the year. But Marquise Brown is probably saying to himself, look, I'm going to have the opportunity to be the number one guy there for the first six weeks of the year. It's an offense that better suits my style. He said that himself, you know, just side note. He might be looking for a huge, huge payday. In fact, I'm sure he is looking for a huge, huge payday. So for these wide receiver extensions, we've seen so many happen this offseason where, again, there, there are a bunch of trade rumors surrounding each of them. I mean, we, we heard the DK Metcalf trade rumors. We heard the Debo Samuel trade rumors, the, the Terry McLaurin trade rumors. A.J. Brown obviously had his name pop up in the trade rumors and was dealt. Now, the one with Marquise Brown was interesting because nobody, like, nobody expected that one to happen. The Ravens made sure that was kept pretty quiet and literally it was a shock to pretty much everyone so that's a little bit of a different situation but now with Debo Samuel signed Terry McLaurin signed DK Metcalf signed and all these other guys signed these other players like Johnson like Brown have benchmarks that they can say hey look my play dictates I'm in this range if not more than this range that's where they can start off so hopefully for the Steelers' sake, they can get that deal done with Deontay Johnson. For the Cardinals, they have some some figuring out to do in terms of what they want to do with Marquise Brown after signing Kyler Murray. It's that huge extension, and I'm sure it probably wasn't the whole reason because Marquise Brown obviously requested out of Baltimore. But would the Ravens feel comfortable paying Marquise Brown $25 million per season in an offense that thrives on running the football? Now, you have that offense is still good throwing. Like, I'm not saying they can only run, they can't throw. They can do both. <laughs> Let me make it clear. But still, it's a run-heavy offense, and that's okay. They can feed the run game off of the pass game, the pass game off of the run game, and it works. But there are less targets to go around in the Baltimore offense than there are in the Arizona offense. That's just a fact. So I think that the Ravens would probably feel less comfortable giving Marquise Brown $25 million per season than the Cardinals would. So we'll figure out what happens there. But Debo Samuel signing that huge extension with the San Francisco 49ers happening late Sunday night. I think a good move for San Francisco overall. And again, it does set the market and sets another benchmark for some of these other wide receivers to look for as they look to sign their deals as well. That's all I have for you here today on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back in tomorrow, we're diving into more content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And we will see you right back here tomorrow.